The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. From the Illinois State Water Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research. Not today, sir. <laughs> oh, my God, the COVID's kicking in. That's funny. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Your Venturovsky Show for Tuesday, August 31st. Holy crap, August went by fast. That's <laughs> August flying by. It's just moments away, but we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors. The Chicago Teachers Union, our sponsors. We've got Stacey Davis-Gates coming on in moments. And, of course, today's show. SDG. SDG. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Go check it out. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe. And if you want to help out this program, you can. You can become a binhead. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, August 31st, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, CTU Vice President Stacey Davis. Ben, where are you? Oh, there he is. Okay. I thought you... I didn't go anywhere. Okay. (laughs) Threw me up. Stacey Davis Gates returns. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Vax Brainwash Tuesday. And here's why. Because we're all brainwashed. That's why. But before we get to that, D, did you have a good weekend, young man? Oh, boy, did I ever. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. (laughs) a, a little birdie told me that you played basketball. Yeah, well, bought a basketball and, yeah, played a little bit. So that little birdie knew what he was saying when he told me that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that little birdie was Dr. D. By the way, I gave you a shout-out in this week's column at the Reader. Oh, I forgot to tell you that at our pre-show planning oh. session. Yes, our pre-show planning session, which mostly consisted of talking about Candyman. Anyway, um, yes, I gave you a shout-out. And I called you Dr. D. Oh, that's uh, great. Uh, that's great. That's good. <laughs> and I was going to go Dr. D and then not a doctor. And I go, you know, yeah, let's just. Anyway, you're the one. Uh, I wrote a column uh, talking about uh, the um, Johnny C, uh, Johnny Catanzara. Uh, uh, and his interesting views uh, on the vaccine and the pandemic and uh, concentration camps and Nazis, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and his, his uh, I, by the way, I watched, oh, damn, I'm on a tangent within a tangent here. I watched Catanzara's uh, explanation of his quotes to Frank. Boy, did he throw Fran Spielman under a bus. Did Aww. you see this? No, thing? I didn't. 
Come on, Johnny. That's not fair. Fred Spielman has so just so dutifully be giving you all this space in the Sun-Times. The Sun-Times loves you. They have done more to promote your brand with that look you got, with the grizzled face, you don't shave, like Ryan Seacrest thing going down. You know what you got. You know you love Ryan Seacrest. You know you study him. Hmm. By the way, T, I swear to God, this there is a certain age group I have identified. You're not in it. You have a, like a real legit beard, okay? But there's a certain type. And you know who's in this type? Chris Cuomo. I've been studying Chris oh, Cuomo. Okay. I took the deep dive. Wait, we are so far afield here. I'm not, I make a tangent within a tangent because I was thinking about John Catanzaro's like where they don't really shave. You know what I'm saying? You know who was into it long before his fashion? Well, I got to say Yasser Arafat. We're going back to the seventies, but the head of the PLO, he was doing it long before it was fashionable. Catanzaro, Ryan Seacrest, all you other little bros out there. But D I've been exploring Chris Cuomo and he, he should have it, but apparently, I don't know, like CNN has a rule. Who knows why he does? But you know what I'm talking about? That little look? Yeah, yeah. You just, you just let it grow out a little bit, and then you shave it so it just really looks good. I'm, so I was on vacation. There were like a bunch of guys, like bro types. You know, they're good guys. We talk sports and stuff in their late 30s, early 40s. Every single one of them has it. You can't tell me there's not some kind of razor you use. I know in the past, you're like, people, but no, Ben, it's just they're letting their hair grow. No, guys, it's a look. Anyway, John Catanzaro, you got the look. Very careful. And a lot of cops are like, yeah, I like that look. I like Johnny C representing me. Okay. And who has helped you? Chicago Sun-Times. Who's been your go-to source to get your message out? The Chicago Sun-Times. In particular, Fran Spielman. So she calls you up to ask about uh, vaccine mandates. You go berserk. You start dropping the F-bomb left and right. Start talking about gas chambers, concentration camps, you know, and then you get in trouble. So it's a totally different guy. So you didn't see it. I actually watched his, he's got this YouTube thing, which gets a lot more hits than we do. <laughs> I got to say, Johnny C, you know, I may not agree with you, but I got to, I, I got to recognize game when I see it. And this guy is pretty good at, uh, he's a lot better than we are. Let's put it that way, D, at uh, getting people to watch him. So anyway. He's doing his spiel and he's like, it's really serious. It's not like, it's not like the F bomb drop in, you know, uh, I'm a badass. pound the chest. It's like really serious and somber. And, and then this is apology for, you know, uh, an analogy that he shouldn't have made, uh, where he was sort of comparing, making people get the vaccine, uh, to marching them into gas chambers. But, uh, and then he, at that point, he said, now, I'm not going to say I didn't say it because I did. But I'm just saying, I thought I was off the record. Uh-oh, <laughs> take Fran Spielman, throw her under the bus. And then he names her. That's the last time I'll be giving interviews with you. From now on, when I got something to say, I'll call you and let you know. Come on, Johnny. That's not, I don't know. You shot off your mouth. You know, it was great newsworthy material. You you got a lot of attention for it. You built your brand even more than it was already built. 
I think you should show a little love for Frank Spindler. And by the way, he did the same thing to the the guy from uh, BEZ. Remember that one, D? I don't know if you remember that one. We talked a lot about that. This was after the January 6th insurrection. And um, uh, some reporter, I think Chip Mitchell, called him for BEZ and go, Johnny, what do you think about this? And his attitude was, ah, it looks like a bunch of guys having fun. I don't know what the big deal is. And then when he got in trouble for that, he was like, well, I... I hadn't seen the full. <laughs> this guy's excuses are hilarious. I hadn't seen the full extent of, you know, what they had done. If I had seen the full extent, I wouldn't have said those things. So again, once again, he's like blaming man, Chip Mitchell and France Beelman. So I went on that tangent. I have no idea where I started that and why I went down that road. Hey, you and your tangents, <laughs> I tell you. Can you imagine hanging with this guy on a weekend? My God. <laughs> anyway. So I did a lot of that over the weekend. Maybe it'll come back to me later on where I was going with that one. Uh, I was going to watch Candyman this weekend, scary movie, uh, even though I'm scared of scary movies. But instead, I got invited to a friend's birthday party, and I want to give a shout out. What up, Joan? Happy birthday. Uh, Joan's a really cool, good friend of my wife. Anyway, the place was crawling with boomers, D. They had a couple of millennials in there, but most of the people were the baby boomer persuasion. They had songs from the 60s playing in the background, like Crystal Blue Persuasion Ooh, songs. That, sounds like your kind you know, of party, buddy. <laughs> it was. I'm like, Crystal Blue Persuasion. Yeah. And I'm saying all this to make a point. I may even be more insanely paranoid about getting the virus than your average baby boomer. Yes. You hear that, D? I may be the baby boomiest baby boomer in America. I mean, I walk in and I see a dozen or so people sitting in the backyard and immediately I walk away from everyone and they're coming up to me and they want a hug. And I'm like, no, 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 no hugs. And they want to shake my hand. I'm like, no, 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 definitely no handshakes. Let's do the elbow, elbow guy. I'm like punching elbows, whatever you do. (laughs) I'm like six feet, six feet, everybody. And they're all trying to explain to me, Ben, we're all vaccinated. Ben. You're vaccinated. Ben, you can't really get it bad if you're vaccinated. Ben, it's like getting the cold. I'm like, who wants the cold? I was halfway thinking, should I put my mask on? Nobody else had a mask on. People looking at me like I'm really weird. And they're all super smart about how the vaccine works and how it protects me. And they give me this very clinical, brilliant explanation. And I got to tell you, they're like talking to people of the science guy at NPR or something. And gradually I had one glass of wine and another glass of wine. Suddenly I'm not worried about the virus anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's when I woke up the next day, discovered a video from the anti-vaxxers and the firefighters and police union. Hardcore guys. D, if you haven't seen this one, you got to check it out. It figures this big old firefighter from Los Angeles who looks like he could play offensive lineman for the Bears. I mean, this guy is big. I don't know if you folks have seen this video sent to me by someone and uh this firefighter this big firefighter looks so despondent and dejected and upset that he could barely talk and like he'll say a sentence and then he'll get quiet like he's really trying to control himself and and say exactly what he wants to say as opposed to you know being like johnny canton's era just dropping the f-bomb and it all has to do about mandates for the vaccine he doesn't, this big firefighter, want mandates for the vaccine. He thinks it's a big imposition. Imposition. It's an invasion of his body. It's a stripping away of his liberties, his sacred liberties. It's one step too far. And he, like many others, is mad at his union because his union hasn't done enough to fight this. And suddenly I'm really feeling sorry for union leaders, firefighter union leaders and uh, police union leaders 
because this could be a problem. This could cause an insurrection in the ranks. And it may only be, I don't know, 20% of the ranks, but that's a lot of ranks, if that makes any sense. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, where was this guy? Where was this big offensive lineman looking guy when we needed him to help us fight against the war on drugs? You know what I'm saying? Now, let me ask you this, you all you anti-vaxxers out there who are willing to give up your jobs, give up your livelihoods, because you don't want to have to take that vaccine. You may have a vaccine, but you just don't think you want to have to take it. How is making you get a shot any more of an imposition than making you routinely pee into a jar? And they make you pee into a jar. Right now in the city of Chicago, Cops and fighters, firefighters have to pee into the jar. We got random drug tests, all kinds of drug tests. We're going to have our good friend, uh, D, I reached out to him. Sam Holloway will be on the show. Very He's nice. Been on in a while. Very nice. Great guy. One of the smartest guys I know. Very left. Very left. Get ready. He's he's left. Okay. I don't want to hear any crying from my centrist friends because Sam is too left. By the way, I think, I think they pee in a cup, not a jug. I said jar, cup, oh. jar. <laughs> you know what, D, clean it up when we do the uh, drop. We, we, you know what I'm saying? Just, just instead, like when I go, and you have to pee into it, and then you just clip it, and you go, cup. <laughs> that'll sound really good, won't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. By the way, I think where I was going with all that stuff about uh, how John Canizero looks so uh, handsome with his, like, uh, Ryan Seacrest look, is that you and I will have a camera if all goes well, if I don't <laughs> screw this up, which, folks, I am capable. I should be reaching out to Johnny Canizera instead of, like, blasting him. I should get, Johnny, give me some tips. How do you do this thing? The guy's got, like, thousands of followers, D. They yeah, love I know, him. I know. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. The outrage. They make you pee into a, what'd you say, D? Cup, not a jar. Yeah, not a jar. Okay, let's just clean that up. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they make you pee into, they make you pee into it. Who cares if it's a cup or it's a jar, a bathtub, a sink, whatever. They make you pee into it. Okay? They've been doing that for years. You've been going along with it. Random drug tests to determine what? Whether some cop has smoked a joint? Who gives a shit? It's legal. Okay, so it wasn't legal then. That's your point. I could just hear a bit. It was illegal. So we're policing against it. Well, if they give you a vaccine mandate, that's illegal. So the point is not whether it's legal or, or it's illegal. The point is that you believe it shouldn't be illegal because it violates a sacred liberty that you have. That's the point. It's like you... <laughs> You accept one mandate from the government willingly. And you don't accept the other. And that's like the war on drugs was no joke when it came to civil liberties, ladies and gentlemen. It was like the shredding of the Constitution. They were all into it. Make them get a shot to protect themselves and the public from the pandemic. And it's like. This is so outrageous that that big old offensive lineman looking firefighter can't even get the words out, D. Cops are saying they're quitting over it. Not just cops, but school bus drivers, D. I can't. This one blew my mind reading today's Sun Times. 
right here in the city of Chicago. 100 or so bus drivers won't show up because they won't have to take the shot. Bus drivers. I remember getting a call years ago from a friend whose son couldn't get a job. I think I've told you about this, D, whose son couldn't get a job as a bus driver's aide because he flunked his drug test. They were giving drug tests to the guys who help the driver. We're not talking about the guys who drive the bus. We're talking about the guys who, like, gather the kids and walk them to the bus. God forbid that they had smoked marijuana the night before they did that. That was your war on drugs, ladies and gentlemen, that you went along with. Pee in the jars and cups and bathtubs and liquor bottles and whatever else they made you pee into. You peed into them. If they gave you something to pee in, you went along and you did it. I didn't hear any of you complaining. I didn't see any of you joining me and Mick Dumkey when we were writing all those articles on our crusade against the war on drugs. But my friend's desperate. He won't get the job. Do you remember this day? She wanted to know if I knew any ways to like get marijuana out of your system. Like, well, were you coming to me? I didn't know Dennis at the time. I would have sent it right over to Dr. D. That's why they call him a doctor, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what you do is you take apricots and you squeeze them and then you drink the residue. <laughs> That'll take that marijuana right out of you. You know the old apricot trick, too, huh? Anyway, I'm like, who the hell has gotten in your brain, America? Someone's in there right now poking around, feeding you all this stuff about the vaccine. And it's powerful, folks. This is scary. I'm telling you. This anti-vaxxer force has potential to really rip apart the coalitions that supposedly bind the Democratic Party. If you worry about other issues, like labor rights, just think about basic labor union rights, which are controlled by federal appointees that are made by presidents. The Republican Party gets into your brain and rips apart these coalitions. Stacey Davis Gates has joined us has ripped apart these coalitions and a Republican wins and they make labor appointees that rule against unions. That's a powerful force that they're like jujitsu using against the very people they're supposed to protect. Yeah, it's scary. And even social distancing, no handshaking, elbow taps only. That's not going to save us from this. We got a great show today, everybody. Stacey Davis Gates, SDG, as we like to call her. Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union has joined us. Without further ado, we're going to bring on the great, the legendary, Stacy Davis Gates. Welcome back, Stacy. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm very fired up. You missed my opening remarks, and um, I'm very concerned. We'll get into this about uh, the uh, anti-vax movement that's really emerging in this country right now uh, and how it's gotten into the heads of people. It's really a very powerful brainwashing moment in America, Stacey Davis Gates, where I see firefighters and cops and bus drivers and just healthcare workers (laughs) speaking out as though this was a huge imposition uh, that government would make them take the vaccine they're so against the vaccine and stacy the point i just made which we get into where were any of them when government was making you pee into a 
jar or a cup or whatever the hell they made you pee in to take those drug tests. Where were they when we were having the war on drugs for all those years and they were taking that constitution, Stacey Davis Gates, and rip it this way, rip it that way. And I just believe that people in this country have been brainwashed. I know that we have a lot to talk about with the opening of school and where we stand with the first day of kids suddenly coming back to a classroom after being away. But you asked me how I'm feeling, and that's what's on my (laughs) mind. No, I hear you loud and clear. You know, one of the things that um, frontline workers were forced to swallow was being on the front lines during the early parts of the pandemic when um, we didn't have the understanding that we have now, where we didn't have the mitigations, um, including vaccine that we have now, and what it took for those individuals to keep it moving and do the work. You don't go from zero to 100, and you don't go from 100 back down to zero either, right? And, and, and to be fair, er, I think it's also worth saying that the way in which we were oriented to COVID from the very beginning has led to the, to the multitude of impacts, negative ones that we're experiencing now. Um, we were not treated like grownups. Um, and it was used as a polarizing force. And so all of those things, I think, helped to get us to where we are right now in that um, people don't know what to believe, how to believe it, and where they're getting it from and how it changes um, so rapidly. And um, I hope folks are taking note of what not to do in communications with respect to crisis. And then conversely, what to do in terms of crisis communication, because we failed um, as a society and getting people to understand the seriousness of this virus, um, the mitigations and how they work together, um, and the consistency of what it is, what it isn't. And then also leaving room by forecasting that these things change because that is the nature of a virus. Right. Mm -hmm. And so good communication is always key. And, um, it was, we felt, so some of this I'll give you, um, with the anti-vaxxers, the right wingers who see this as a platform and, um, the ground was tilled for this by the lack of leadership that we needed at critical moments during this um, pandemic. All right, let's break that down a little bit because uh, you've made some interesting points and I want you to elaborate a bit. Uh, you said not treated like grownups and it was used as a polarizing force in the early stages. Uh, go into a little more detail by what you mean, not treated like grownups and used as a polarizing force. If we can model down to like, you know, demographic age, race, gender, who's going to vote for whom in this country and why. If you can build those types of models, you can build a model that shows you the trajectory of this virus if you don't do X or if you don't do Y. And being able to communicate that type of information to people on the, like at the beginning stages of this, it was critical 
But I think that both government and to some extent, you know, our medical community did not provide like the brass tacks of this to grown ups. So they would be face to face with having enough information to make an informed decision and also understanding the impact that goes into making an informed decision. I just think we could have did a, we could have a better job with just showing models, numbers, impact, right? Um, what was the second thing I said? Um, grown ups. Oh, uh, political. You... Oh, Trump. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was leading when this started. I mean, I just I, I don't have to say anything. It, Trump, I think that encapsulates you know incompetence squared a million. You know, if if that's even a thing. But um, no, Trump, he completely fumbled this. And then you know we wanted um, Uncle Joe to um, rescue us, right? And so, you know, we get into these, you know, soap opery narratives about a pandemic that doesn't have that type of um, storyline, story arc, plot line. And um, here we are. Well, I definitely have the feeling that uh, as and I'll jump aboard any um, Trump bashing bandwagon there is. I'll I'll lead it because I agree with you that Donald Trump was abysmal uh, in leadership at this critical moment. And in fact, he didn't even want to uh, acknowledge that the pandemic uh, was real because somehow or other it would, um, it was making his, making it more difficult for him to get his message that he was such a great president out. So he, he wouldn't even acknowledge that. So yes, that was a huge problem, but I also have some problems with the way uh, my beloved Democrats uh, have handled this, starting with Gavin Newsom in California, uh, Stacey, I've been going on and on just the mixed messages uh, that were delivered by Democrats, uh, you know, calling on people uh, to make all sacrifices because the pandemic was weird. And then we it was was very real. Uh, and then we see evidence of them not abiding by their own dictates. In the case of Gavin Newsom, where he uh, had the fundraiser at a restaurant with lobbyists and right here in Chicago, uh, where uh, the city was so determined to get Lollapalooza in. Um, Right, right before the start of school. You get what I'm saying? So you have Lollapalooza, go have a party, rock on. And then like a week later, they're announcing, oh, by the way, there's going to be mandates for all city employees. So I, to me, that's a mixed message at the very least. Absolutely. And- it's a mixed message. Like, which one do you believe? Why is this, why is this okay? And why is this one not okay? And, um, yeah, it just it just lacks um, cohesiveness. It lacks intentionality. It lacks real purpose that you can explain and understand and buy into. And here's the other thing that all of this lacks. We're not thinking about this as a team or this as a group project, right? We're we're not pushing in the same way. I would think that this would be a crisis. And typically when people, societies, you know, groups are in crisis, they find something that unites them, the crisis. And then they figure out how to, you know, pull in the same direction to get themselves out of the crisis. Now, after the crisis, you go your way, I go mine or what have you. And I don't think that this is Pollyanna. 
You know, I think that this is really and truly how individuals, you know, behave in crisis and voluntarily in most cases. But like political leadership has really fumbled even that um, basis of unity by fighting people in a pandemic. I will never get over the fact that, you know, our members, Chicago Teachers Union members, teachers and paraprofessionals were like teaching in sub-zero degree weather outside, proving a point that you couldn't do school without like layers of mitigation. Like we had to fight for that. And how do you fight for that in a pandemic? How does like how does your humanity allow for such a thing? So, yeah, that. All right, you talked about a crisis unites us and people searching for symbols of unity. Uh, I mentioned to you before we went on the show, one of the um, perennial scenes of quote-unquote unity is the opening day of school. It's been used symbolically by mayors for as long as I can remember. Well, actually going back to uh, uh, Richard Daly, he really politicized the public school system as a way to 1995. Yes. Mayoral control. Yeah. Mayoral control. And so then it became a thing where the mayor is opening Rang the, the bell. school. Ring right. the freaking bell. What is that all about? Ringing the bell as mayor. Know. If only they could buy us better bear, bells. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. So uh, what do you think about that as a symbol of unity, uh, the way we handle uh, school openings? And how did you think yesterday's went? Um, I think a lot of things. Okay, Stacy, the mom, um, didn't sleep for a few days, right? Because Stacy, the professional, had, you know, is at a table where too many details are not being shared, even to me. Um, and we're negotiating a, you know, a safety agreement. Um, and like bottom line, one safety in a pandemic should not rest upon the head of a seven-year-old, right? A 10-year-old, a 12-year-old. It just shouldn't. That's way too much responsibility. So... Um, just feeling like I don't have any agency, that all of these things are out of my control. Stacy, the mom, right? Um, but I'm also confronted with kids who are happy to be like revisiting parts of their life that provide them with, you know, joy and socializing and identity and, you know, opportunity, right? They were so happy and excited after school, just so very happy so you can't front on the fact that you know our young people really want to be back in connection with each other right um and then there's the reality of it it's a pandemic and um the delta variant is is not good for unvaccinated people and um you can just make an assumption that our students in elementary schools are going to have a tougher time because that's where our unvaccinated population of students by and large exists. Those from four to 11 years old. And so you know what you know. You also know that based on some of the photographs that have been out there, some of the photographs that I've seen that I haven't seen out there, um, social distancing is, is aspirational. 
And it matches, quite frankly, what they've given us in um, contract proposals, very aspirational language on social distancing, which is, by the way, why it's not signed. And, by the way, that's what's happening in some of our school communities, right? And so we know that it's the layers of mitigation, but the two layers that, you know, our members have the most control over for themselves is the vaccine and the mask. Mm. And dare I say, that's the same type of control that any um, parent or family member has with their child in the school too. Those are the two that you get to control if you're 12 and up, right? Mm. Is that you get to get the vax. Um, and then, you know, all of us in our school community, the masking. But those are the things that you can control. And the other layers are hit and miss. You know, it's wildly uneven so far in the school district, um, and which we knew that. Um, and then here's the other thing. Here's the political part, because the mayor had um, a press conference yesterday, too, right, um, in which she got everything almost wrong, like every question. It, it, was, it was really disappointing, right, to know that the person who's in charge doesn't have the full story, either she's A, not being brief, or B, you know, the political relations, you know, gets in front of the transparency. Um, but at any rate, yeah, they're not following CDC guidelines everywhere. We know that. Right. You saw the halls, <laughs> the congested hallways, you know? And then, you know, last thing, and, and I'll be quiet, um, she's like, it worked for us. We had an agreement and we keep kept people safe. And that is not the agreement that is in place right now. In fact, there's no agreement that's in place right now. And their plan rolls the agreement that kept people safe back considerably. So give some specifics of what was in the agreement that is uh, no longer governing uh, things in the public schools. Hard maximums on social distancing. I'll, I'll start there. Um, hard max, maximums on social distancing. Um, that in itself is huge, I think. Um, the screener, um, no longer there. So parents get to say, my kid is, you know, well, and if my kid isn't well, I'll keep my kid home. Um, but you say it once, right? At the beginning of, I think, each quarter, each semester. Um, so, you know, you don't have that daily piece of communication. Um, no more temperature checks, right? All of those things are, are not there um, anymore. Um, you have 100% of the students back where last time we only had like a quarter back and it was a hybrid schedule. Um, students were moving in cohorts, right? Meaning they weren't mixing. Um, those things are no longer a reality either, you know? Um, so you have a, a maximum amount of people back with, you know, less mitigations. The social distancing is, is huge. Yes, we still have the masking. Um, testing is, is not mandatory. Um, it is optional. Um, and it is not even set up for those who want the option, right? And we're there already um, in school. Um, there's no metric to close us down if it's necessary to close us down. So some of the schools downstate that you're seeing shut down, 
there's no um, there's no piece of information that gives us an understanding of when it is too it is unsafe to like operate. Um, the school district says only ISBE can do it. ISBE says, yeah, no, y'all can do it, right? They released a statement saying that you can do it. They refused to do it. And if you remember, there was a, the governor shut it down. It was a, what is it, a Friday, a Thursday or a Friday. I think it was a Friday. The governor shut it down. Mm-hmm. The mayor basically had a temper tantrum on television thereafter at her own press conference when he shut it down. I do need people to, you know, be reminded that he said that she wasn't, the school shouldn't be shut down. Like, go back to that press conference. It's right there. Um, and so that continues to track because they are saying that they don't have the authority to do it. So here we are. Um, so that that's a big deal because there, w- there were, you know, guidelines as to how that would happen in the MOU um, the last time out. Um, quarantining, um, vaccinated individuals, student, um, staff, faculty do not have to quarantine if they've been vaccinated, um, if they are exposed to, um, COVID-19. Um, I don't know if that's the right thing, seeing as that, you know, vaccinated people are carriers, asymptomatic carriers as well, um, of this virus. So maybe they should if they test. Um, but they're not required to test because they've been vaccinated. So um, those are those are the the points. Uh, th- that's where the chasm exists, like how we feel about it and how they feel about it. You know, if you're looking at why testing is um, important, I think you got to look at um, LA schools. Um, their union was able to put some stuff in there that I think will protect more people than not. Mandatory testing. And they did, you know, baseline testing and they're doing some surveillance testing. They knew over the summer one in 1,000 students had, um, was testing positive for COVID. Um, once school started, it was one in 100. And you only know that through testing, right? Mm-hmm. You get a baseline and you, you know, surveil. So it's, I don't know. I'm just, uh, yeah, you know, to your point earlier about why isn't school a unifying thing? Yeah, because it would it sure make the world feel better if it could be unifying, to be honest with you. But it isn't. Oh, absolutely. It isn't. Uh, and uh, I could give a whole historical uh, I mean, listen to this, man. This. Yeah. Listen to this. If I am COVID positive, my employer is saying that I got to use all my benefit days to quarantine and get better. Let that rest for a moment. When we say roll back, they're also making it unsafer. So would that promote you quarantining and self-reporting or would it be a disincentive to being honest reporting and quarantining, right? You get, you, you get like, X number of benefit days and you're going to exhaust them plus some quarantining. New teachers, by the way, new employees don't get their benefit days until January. Like this is like how not to recover from a pandemic, how not to be safe in a pandemic. They're ridiculous. 
I just wrote a column, which hasn't come out yet, where uh, I talk about uh, the upset in the ranks of police officers and their union over the masking mandates. And I said in that column, police officers are starting to realize how (laughs) the city treats teachers. And they're beginning to understand this is what teachers deal with all the time. Let's just take a moment to go review what Stacy just said, because I hadn't thought about it. This is the Chicago bureaucratic mentality at play. They're more worried, Stacy Davis Gates, based on what you told me, on how they could force teachers to use their sick days as opposed to, I don't know what, accumulating their sick days. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. As <laughs> than they are on just like and, and I don't even have sick days if I'm just starting out. You know, it's just they accumulate. It it, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, I, I listen. I I understand uh, that the world is is really unfair and there's one set of rules for one some people and another set of rules for others. Uh, for instance, oh God, on a tangent here, I met someone uh, who uh, just had a baby over the summer and she works for uh, the Gates Foundation, got seven months leave, parental leave. And then God bless him. God bless Bill Gates Foundation. OK, that's not I'm not railing. I'm just like, who gets seven months leave? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's the real world, but you can't. So there's like. One set of rules for one group and another set of rules for another. But just that is really bizarre, uh, Stacey, that they're all hung up on sick days in the middle of a pandemic and uh, making sure that what someone who tests positive use his or her sick days. Because what if they get by the way, what if they get test positive again? And what sick days do they get then? For yeah, the quarantine. So this is why your union is important, because this is the negotiation right now. Because you can't depend on them to be decent, you know, to promote a decent institution, you know, that prioritizes humanity in the pandemic. Like this literally doesn't run without grown-ups who are willing to, you know, believe that they will be safe, believe that they have some recourse believe that they are, you know, a necessity, you know, it's just no reciprocity. Um, and when there is, it's very little and you have to struggle to secure that. So I, you know, God bless us. Uh, you said something, I wrote it down and I just wanted you to elaborate a little bit and I'm quoting social distance is aspirational. What did you mean by that? Three feet when possible. Well, it never has to be possible, right? When? Who 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 says when? It, it it is possible if you don't stuff the classroom with thirty three kids. It is possible if you have more space. Which is interesting because every year they talk about how many schools are underutilized. So it seems like to me you would have, you know, um enough room in many of these places, especially on the south and west side of the way in which they're closing down you know, our schools, um, in those parts of, in that, in those parts of the city, um, you would think that it would be more than, you know, enough room to do it, but you got to hire people in, to do the work and they don't want to hire people to do the work, you know, $4 billion. 
right now in this city, in this school district to help people survive and recover from um, this pandemic. You get it from the federal government. They don't even want to use it for, you know, what they should use it for, which is, you know, make class sizes smaller, right? Hire more people in, in order to do that. They don't want to, like, do the things that are necessary in this moment. How about this? Put a nurse in every school in a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll uh, I'll respond to you with that suggestion the way uh, uh, the editorial writers of Chicago said. Shut up and get back in that classroom, teachers. That's right. what the strike was. Shut up. <laughs> Take your pay hike. It's, it's like that for everything, right? Could you have imagined if teachers would have said that they didn't want a vaccine and how those pages would have been written? I still haven't read one from them about how, you know, some workers are saying not so fast. We see it, to be perfectly honest with you, as a layer of mitigation that will help keep us safe, one that we can control, right? Get it or not get it. Um, we made that a condition of our return last winter to be, you know, very transparent. Um, but yeah, like the editorial pages really go hard on teachers, really go hard on teachers and their unions. And what I don't understand is, is that because of it being like dominated by women Yes. Is that a function of infantile making us like children because we work with children? Like I've yes. always wondered, okay. <laughs> You're on a roll. Keep going with the uh, yes, yes to both of those. Yeah. You know, I, cause it just, yeah. Uh, no, here's the deal, Stacy. I've said it a million times. And uh, I used to have this conversation with our dear friend, Karen Lewis, all the time. They come after you because they think women are easier to pick on. Why do you think Rom dropped the F-bomb on Karen Lewis, but he didn't drop it on, I don't know, the head of the Fraternal Order Police? You know, they just assume that because you're a woman, you're going to be easier to pick on. That's just an assumption. And uh, so that's why they do it. And w- when I write that or say that, you know what they come at me with? They, t- they, they accuse me. <laughs> oh, they're so funny. They accuse me of being anti-woman. Oh, well, you're saying women are weaker. You know, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Karen showed you differently, you got mad at Karen. So, yeah, that's why they pick on the teachers union. Uh, I absolutely believe that. And because you work with kids and you're supposed to be like saints, you know, Uh, you said something else that I want to get into before I start talking to you about that Washington Post story, which I sent you. You had already read it. Um, You said the mayor got everything wrong at the press conference yesterday. Go into a little more specifics about some of the information that uh, she issued that you think should be corrected. I mean, let's just, we can just stay in one place, the bus situation. How do you not know that you were not, so before pandemic, we were already under capacity as a school district. Then once the um, policy went into effect, 
then you lose people there too. How do you not know that? And then how is it not communicated to the people who do that work? And then here's the big part. How is it that a day before school starts, I'm figuring out how to get my kid to school? Or tell me this, Uber and Lyft? There are no vaccination background check requirement. Like, it, it's, oh my God, when you say like ridiculous, it was the epitome of ridiculousness. On the first day of school in the pandemic, where parents are entrusting you with the health and safety of their children, you said, yeah, those are details. I'm going to read it because it was just, I'll read the quote. I'll read the quote. Mm-hmm. Like, um, she was being, I think the question was about CPS employees. Um, would they accompany um, the students in the ride chairs? Mm-hmm. Right? Because they usually accompany them on the actual bus ride. Right? Yeah. So, with the same logic you know, carry over. This is during the day. You're a little ahead of us, but as soon as we know what the plan is going to be, we'll definitely let you know. Yo, you've already picked my kid up or not. Like, this is, it's, it's happening already. And then here, another quote she had was that, you know, I don't want to talk about worst case scenario. We're not going to get there. I'm sorry, we are in worst-case scenario. We're in the middle of a pandemic. This is a worst-case scenario. You can't normalize a pandemic. And then you also have to speak to plan A, plan B, and plan C. Look, we have said from the very beginning, you got to maximize the layers of mitigation. you got to maximize them. Then you have to have a way to enforce those layers of mitigation. Their stance is three feet if possible. (laughs) And that is going to make the school year unstable. We started the school year with 300 individuals quarantining. That's day one. Over 300 individuals quarantining. Students, faculty, staff, grownups. So here we are. Uh, by the way, you said something. Oh, I'd love to you elaborate a little more. Uh, you were distinguishing between uh, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, the union official, and Stacey Davis Gates, uh, the mom. That's ridiculous. I shouldn't have done that. I hate when people do that. It's so pretentious. Like, you have so many sides of yourself. Um, I just wanted to, I guess, put into a bucket, like, the different feelings that you have. Um, and as a mother, I don't know, you know, I just pray on my children every morning and, you know, drill them all the way to school in the car, um, about, you know, hand washing, the sanitizer, the eating, the, you know, all it, it, and it's ridiculous. I am giving them my anxiety (laughs) because it isn't there. 
Well, Stacy, let me just uh, reassure you that as anxious as you may be, you missed my opening. You're not as bad as I am. I am. I've calculated. I, I went to a party this weekend. It was filled with baby boomers, other baby boomers, people at least 25 years older than you or whatever. And I was the baby boomiest boomer in the bunch. Boy, that's a lot of bees. I was the babyest boomer boomer in the bunch. Man, I was so afraid. Don't come close. You're too close. Get six feet. I'm like three feet. Forget that. Six feet. You know, <laughs> they're all laughing at me. We're outside. So I share your anxiety. I really do. I, I don't want to get it. And um, uh, and I, I, I'm watching what's unfolding uh, I, we started off talking about around us the, the resistance to the vaccine. I watch it just with a combination of disbelief and uh, and awe. Hmm. I absolutely believe that it's a political force driving this. I believe that it's a political force intended to um, undercut the Democrats and elect Republicans. And I think uh, there's a lot of people who are just going along being used i personally that's what i believe uh as i pointed out i i never saw the reaction the resistance to taking away of liberties when they were making you do drug tests and how do teachers have to do drug tests stacy i don't even know the answer to that question do, if, the, if there's a suspicion if there's like reasonable suspicion they can ask you to but it's not um on day one no it's not a condition of well it's not a, a condition of entry into um employment okay. and well, I, it may be requested if you know there's reasonable is there reason to believe that you are engaged in drug use well, I wonder what drug use is. is I mean, marijuana is legal now, so it's okay. It's legal. Yeah, but you can't be at work high, man. <laughs> you gotta. Good luck with the kids. <laughs> I don't know. No, you can't do that. So I, I'm not avowing. I'm not saying this is what you should do. I'm just saying uh, this is a, that marijuana works for different people in different ways, and some people may help. Hey, I them. didn't say recreation and medical, right? I yeah. there is a distinction there, right? There, mm-hmm. and there are all sorts of you know specifics to these rules and how it's being applied and so forth. But it, it, I, I look just not, I guess, not as a union leader. I I love to see you stoned in front of a, a room <laughs> full of students having an expectation of engagement. Jesus, who idea? Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, I hear you. You don't want to see me stoned anyway, because I'd be like, could you imagine me doing an interview? Uh, Stacy, man, I love your hat. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be, oh, uh, wow, man. Uh, <laughs> That's ridiculous. But again, I guess it's legal. Like, you know, no shade. You know, it's what it is. But um, yeah, it's, no. It's not only legal. I just want to point something out. Mm-hmm. Our government, this is how insane we are in terms of sending out mixed messages, Stacey. It's not only legal, our government from the, the state to the city and down all those municipalities is depending. They're depending on the revenue they get from it to finance the schools. So on one hand, they're drug testing bus aids. You know, God forbid, for some reason, they're not supposed to smoke reefer. 
on the other hand, they really need him to buy the reefer uh, to uh, finance government. Talk about a huge mixed message. All right. Well, it's uh, always been a mixed message um, until, you know, you can tax it. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, the Washington Post wrote this story, which I sent you, sent to a bunch of people. Uh, Troy LaRavier, I sent it to him as well. Uh, who will be coming on the show next week. And um, I had a smile when I read this story. I can't remember who wrote the story. I wish I I should have the name of the author. I always try to give credit. The central theme of the story is that Chicago's public schools are a success uh, and that they're they're being used as a symbol of what's wrong with uh, cities, what's wrong with public education, when in reality, uh, thanks to um, our mayors, uh, they should be used as an example of what is successful, and they cite the falling dropout rate. And I know what my reaction to that story was. I've been dealing with uh, <laughs> arguments like that for quite a while. Um, but I wish uh, I sent it to you and uh, to Troy and to other friends of mine uh, who are teachers to get their reaction. Uh, so what was your general reaction uh, to that article, Stacey? That the reformers must have commissioned the story because um, it speaks from their perspective on how um, they have, they're, like they're spinning, you know, the destruction that they brought to public schools, particularly here in Chicago, and are trying to claim credit for successes that have nothing to do with them. In fact, these successes are in spite of their best efforts, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, So I think it's written from the reformer point of view um, is is what I would say. And um, I take great offense at um, the reformers claiming credit. Reformers um, disrupted a system and didn't make it better, right? They perform experiments on some of our most vulnerable um, student populations, families, neighborhoods in the city, and they did not um, create, develop, innovate anything um, better. In fact, some people would say that it was worse, right? You get rid of whole school communities. Um, so that, and, and they claim credit for it. But I think it's the work of like families who are going to persevere because they have to students who, you know, take full advantage of opportunity and put forth the effort and, you know, continue to trust in the process, if you will. Then you have like the workers who you see every fad come in miles away because they, you know, they're easy to spot Um, ideas that, they can tell you can't, you know, come around every five years if they're lucky. Um, don't work, and this is why they don't work. And then, you know, they close their door um, to their classroom, and they figure out how to give students what they need, how to meet them where they are, how to, you know, offer an experience um, that is more edifying than not. So, they they're doing it the wrong way. You know, the air reformers need their next big break. And if we're not paying attention, it's learning loss, right? That's what they keep talking about. And I don't know. I, I don't even know how you come up with such a thing. Like, first off, you're always learning. 
<laughs> like always, the only time you're not learning is when you're dead. So how do you lose learning? Right. That just doesn't even make sense. Um, then part two of that, where, how did you assess this? Well, they didn't assess anything. They asked like consulting companies to come put together an algorithm to tell them what they wanted to say. <laughs> You know, that supports what they want to say. That's a better way of expressing that. Um, and here we are talking about learning law. So they can give you a test. They can sell you a curriculum. They can, you know, form the basis of closing another school that black children attend. Right. So it starts up their their reform machine. Because now they have a crisis that they can connect a solution to when the crisis was there before because they helped to engineer that crisis by closing schools and not replacing them, opening up private options without any accountability, right? Mm -hmm. I could go on. But you know, and no. I, I uh, would like to point out that uh, when they do these recitations of be uh, giving credit for the successes of Chicago public schools. And I've all long s said, Stacey, they were never as bad as the Republicans made them out to be. Cause they always used that William Bennett moment in 1987, way before your time. I believe you were probably in grammar school. Uh, I was Kennedy yes. elementary school. Yep. Yes. Uh, he said he did my elementary school. We got a blue ribbon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Uh, she got a blue ribbon and she was learning how to dribble with her left hand, ladies and gentlemen, because the point guard's got to dribble with two hands. Uh, and uh, and I remember, so Bennett came to town and they always use that as, well, that's, they were the worst system. Like some Republican, you know, some Republican operative for Ronald Reagan said Chicago's the worst. And now everybody in the city uses that. Well, we're a lot better than we were in 87. Well, and I'm like, it justified what Democrats did. This is, this is bipartisanship. Yes. That was bipartisanship. When has a Republican, even a Reagan era Republican at that, come to a, a chocolate city at that time and tell them that the vast majority of the students in the schools are failing and it'd be okay? You know, any other time you would be calling them a racist and the Democrats would be, you know, cranking that machine up, you know, too, because it is racist. But it justified mayoral control because it justified the billions of dollars that, you know, have been in these budgets that weren't going to the things that we needed to go elsewhere, privatization. And here we are. Yeah. You know, Republicans aren't bad when Democrats can use it to justify something um, as a neoliberal turn um, with respect to public education. You know, I, I'll tell you that that is education, public education has been a bipartisan approach for a very long time. Right. If, if, if Republicans and what they peddle is, you know, um, you know, regressive, then why is it always okay with public education? And, you know, we got to start calling the, well, I feel like we have been calling the question on it. We need to continue to be sharp about calling the question on that and demanding something different. Well, we'll see where the Democratic Party is heading on this one. Uh, the, under Barack Obama, President Barack Obama and Arne Duncan, uh, it was full speed ahead for the charter schools, full speed ahead for privatization. They bought into it for whatever reason. 
we can analyze whatever secret motivations they had. Stacy, Karen Lewis, and I used to talk about this for hours. And one of our favorite talks, but uh, it at the at this moment, it seems as though the Democratic Party has I don't want to go too far on what I'm about to say, but it does seem like they're not as fervent about charter schools and privatization uh, as they used to be. That's just my read. What's your read? Look, I think we, from the conversations you and Karen would have, you know, we're, we're in a different place. We're in a different place. There's more transparency. There are more questions being, you know, put forth. But there's also a radicalized group of people outside of the union, many times in coalition with the union, who, who are saying a thing about their things as well. That is the, that's the potential, right? That is how we make this better because you need people taking ownership of it. All people treating it in a certain way. We cede way too much power to a few people in government to do bad things to us, right? Um, We got to figure out how to be intolerant about some of this stuff and um, push for something different and better. Hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's end this on a, a positive note, having nothing to do with public education. Okay. And I, I did not uh, uh, tell uh, Stacey I was going to do this, but uh, I happened by chance to stumble upon a, uh, a family photo of Stacey Davis Gates' family, and she posted on Facebook. And a uh, very, very lovely-looking family. Well, Stacy's gonna laugh. What I liked about it is uh, one of her sons was wearing a Bulls jersey. <laughs> <laughs> My beloved Chicago Bulls, and I'm like, someone taught that kid well. Okay, he's wearing a Bulls jersey. He's not one of these front runners, Chicago kids. Like, well, I'm going with the Lakers because of LeBron, or I'm going with Milwaukee because of Giannis, and they're the champs. No, this kid is sticking with the Bulls through thick and thin. Either either that or he just likes the jersey. There's always that possibility. Um, So anyway, kudos to whichever parent steered this kid. Whichever parent, are you serious? It's a mother. (laughs) She's in charge of function in the household. You know that. (laughs) Well, kudos to you, the kid. You got that kid on the right path. And by the way, he looks like he's already about six feet. I uh, forget dude, the soccer. That, Get that kid so, a basketball. <laughs> that dude is like Ben. Like when I tell you um, the privilege that I enjoy getting to know my little people as people and not as people you yell things to back and forth because we're always in motion, you know? Yeah. Um, and just seeing him like every day come down the stairs and then look and this dude is tall. He's he's just getting taller and taller <laughs> and taller and taller. Like every day and then he and then it's closed. Like you buy him something and he's out of it quickly. Anyway, yeah, he's he's gonna be a tall kid. He's going to be a tall kid. And, you know, he looked like he was getting taller literally in that photograph. Like he was just <laughs> growing as the- Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'd be the guy, like the coach at the team, like, hey, hey, kid, do you know how to play basketball? I know I would drag him into the gym. 
but anyway, uh, Stacy, we has uh, actually been on the show where we talk nothing but basketball. So I have to ask you this as we close: Are you excited about what my beloved Chicago Bulls have done in the off season? Uh, getting Ball, getting. Uh, uh, DeMar uh, DeRozan, getting Alex Caruso, getting uh, Derek Jones Jr. Uh, uh, do you think it bodes well for my beloved Chicago Bulls? Yes. We got to be hopeful about something in the city. So absolutely it does. Um, nothing tells us but a try. But no, I think uh, the only person happier than you is Brandon Johnson. He is um, a ball family fan, like all three of the kids. He is like a huge fan. And he has been talking about this for like months, like months and months, like maybe even a year or two before about like, what if we just got, like we need a little of that in Chicago. If we got in, in and then it happened and I had to break the news to him because I didn't see a text message like, yo, did you see this? And so I, you know, I sent the text message and he was like, see, I told you, this is exactly what we needed. So you should talk to him about how excited he is about the future of the Bulls. Well, uh, okay, Brandon Johnson, I'm just since you raised that subject, I love teasing him this. I remember once he was on the show, he was talking about his kids. He's really into baseball, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he has a little LeVar ball in him, okay? He was like, oh, ready to get that. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. <laughs> I'm like, he, that's the dad uh, who, who's kids, okay? Uh, by the way, a great movie coming out. I can't wait to see it. Will Smith. I'm a, I remain a Will Smith fan. I'm not one of these guys that jumps on the anti-Will Smith bandwagon, which I've noticed. What's the, as, movie, uh, what's the movie about? Uh, it's about Richard um, Williams, who's the oh, father. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. It's the it's about the father uh, who got his daughters uh, to... Um, to learn and love, play tennis and be the champion and his drive. And I don't know. As a sports yeah, no, dad. it should be interesting. Sports dads are toxic, though. So we'll see what it is. Yeah, sports dads are not perfect. All right. Stacey Davis Gates is not a sports dad. She is a sports mom and she's the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union. And she's a really good friend of the show. And thanks so much, Stacey, for uh, joining us one more time. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity always. Thank you for having me. All right, that's the great Stacey Davis Gates, or as we call her, SDG. I want to thank her for taking the time to come on the show. Of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy at Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Stacey and Brandon Johnson will tell you, back home at Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. internet powerful enough to let your band members in vegas phoenix and rhode island jam like you're all in the same garage get gig speeds powered by fiber from cox it's internet built for tomorrow today cox always building better download speeds up to one gigabit per second cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms and other restrictions may apply